You're listening to KSQD Santa Cruz at 90.7 FM. I'm Emily. I'm Melina. We're part of Your Future is Our Business, which is a Santa Cruz County nonprofit that helps students ages 10 to 18 explore careers by connecting them to adults through programs such as college and career expos, career panels, and other work-based learning activities. You're listening to our show, What to Be, where we interview and highlight the career journeys of inspirational people in Santa Cruz County. If you've ever thought, hmm, how did they get that job, or what is that job really like, then keep on listening. We would like to remind listeners that the views and opinions expressed in this program do not necessarily represent or reflect those of Natural Bridges Media or Your Future is Our Business. Please note that information provided during this program does not reflect this career in its entirety. Today we're joined by our guest, Jimmy Cook. First of all, Jimmy, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. And Jimmy is the program director for CASA of Santa Cruz. And my first question for you is, what is CASA? So CASA stands for Court Appointed Special Advocate. And what we do is we train, coach, and supervise volunteers in our community to work with children in the foster care system and ensure that their needs are being met while they're going through that process. And how did you come into this position and what like training or education did you get for it? So my background is in social work. I'm a social worker by trade. That's my profession. When I'm asked, what do I do? When I'm asked, what am I? What is my career? I say social worker. My title is program director. That just describes what I do with my job. But I'm a social worker. And I found myself looking for something that would meet my best attributes. And that is building relationships with people and helping them help themselves. And that led to me studying social work at a master's level, getting my master's in social work at Cal State Los Angeles down in L.A. And then 15 years later, I was fine trying to figure things out. And this opportunity opened up at CASA after having been a social worker for about eight years in Santa Cruz and meeting these wonderful volunteers that worked for CASA. Mm -hmm. I wanted to become a CASA volunteer, and then this job opportunity opened up, so I applied to become the manager over at CASA. And what would you say is the biggest differences between your program director and a social worker, or are they kind of both embedded? Hmm, it's a great question. I'd say there's a lot that parallels there. Um, When I think about the career of social work, I think about where social workers are in our communities, and social worker, the term social worker means different things to different people. For the population that I work with, because I'm working with families that have children in the foster care system, that means child protection services. That's what a social worker does. But if you look at across careers all over the nation, we have professional social workers working in many different fields, from senators to business people to lawyers to judges. They may have started as a social worker before they moved into that area. And so when I think about my role as a director or manager, I'm using all the same skills and tools of building relationship and motivating people and encouraging people to do the best that they can in order to serve the population that we work with. So I see a lot of parallels there. Can you walk us through a typical day if you have one? Hmm. Typical day is that every day is different. And I think in social work, in general, most days are very different. I think that's one of the things I love about social work is that I never know what's going to happen. I have someone of an agenda every day, but every meeting I go to and every phone call I get and email I get is asking for something to help. And there's lots of challenges and crises that occur when you're working with families that are struggling in poverty and struggling with substance abuse or mental illness. Lots of things that can come up. So my main role at CASA is to provide support for the six CASA advocate supervisors and ensure that they have the supports they need 
to coach and supervise the 25 to 30 volunteers that they work with. And those volunteers are directly working and impacting the lives of the children in foster care. So would you say you were in a lot of meetings or what tasks do you do? Yeah, so like today I was in a meeting before I showed up here and I met with the Family and Children's Services Child Welfare uh, Director and Managers, and that's building a relationship. Like I said, that's sort of the theme of social work. And so I meet with all the different partners on a regular basis, from the court to the judges and attorneys, the children's behavioral health systems, to the mental health clinicians, the social work team, and various community-based organizations to help support how we can work together to ensure that the families that are coming into the system have all the things they need to be successful and to reunify with their children. And what kind of environment and people do you work with? My environment's fantastic. I work in a house. And so <laughs> we have a two-story house down in Watsonville on Freedom. And it's really great. Um, the, the downstairs is like any home that you would go to. It's got a living room and a dining room and a kitchen and, and a crafts room and, and, a, and a library with computers in it. And the advocates can come with their children and do things in this home and not only engage with them in a home-like setting, but also be around other adults that are caring. And they can start to build that understanding that adults are safe people to be around because maybe some of them haven't had that experience or they've been in a situation that's been traumatic for them. And so what we're doing by providing that environment is creating a space where their brain can actually start to rewire and relearn how to be in this world without living in such a stressful, chaotic space all the time. What qualities and skills would you say are most important for a social worker? Patience. A skill set of being able to actively listen and participate in a conversation without having an agenda, which I think is really tricky because we all are raised in different types of families. We all come from different cultures. But when you're a social worker, you're meeting a family where they're at. And so you have to make sure that they are the ones taking the lead, that they have a right to self-determination. They have a right to make choices for themselves that are best for them. They may be different than the choices we may have taken as we were growing up or as uh, or as parents as we might encourage our children to do. And so we have to be very careful to not impose our own values yeah. onto others. And we have to be sensitive that to the different ways that people live. And I think that's what's really cool about being a social worker is I get to learn a lot about the diverse ways that families you know, interact with their children and raise their children and provide for them. What inspired you or interested you in getting involved with social work? So about 20 years ago, I was sort of at a crossroads and I was working in the field of sales. I was actually selling janitorial supplies. And what I realized at that time, this was down in Los Angeles, I was meeting lots of really interesting people that had limited skill set with using the products properly and safely. And so I did a lot of training around that. And so I wasn't just selling them a product, I was teaching them how to use it in a safe way. And so many of the people hadn't had any exposure to anybody doing that with them. And what I learned is that I, all the jobs I've had, I've realized that that's the part I liked the most was mm-hmm. educating people. So I, I kind of thought I might go into the teacher you know, profession. Mm-hmm. My mother was a, was a teacher, but my dad was a sales guy. <laughs> and so I kind of had both of those skill yeah. sets sort of mm-hmm. growing up around that. And, and so I, I thought, well, I really like this part of teaching people. How can I get into this? And the next thing you know, I was working in a group home down in Los Angeles with youth that were on probation. And I met a couple social workers there, and I was fascinated by their skill set and their patience and the way they talked to the boys that we worked with. And 
I thought that's what I want to do. And I, because in my head, I thought social work was an activist role only. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize there was all these other facets of social work. And so I do like that piece too. And I love the advocacy component of what we do at CASA. And so that's another thing that I love about Mm -hmm. CASA. But for me personally, it was about helping people understand sort of how to navigate this crazy world that we live in and, and access resources so that can, they can be successful. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I met the social workers. I thought, well, I should go back to grad school, get my social work degree, and then work in the child welfare system because I knew that the foster care system was a very challenging environment for kids, mm-hmm. and I wanted to make sure that they had the supports they needed. Mm-hmm. If you were to hire someone to replace you today, what kind of qualities and knowledge would you look for in a candidate? Mm, that's a great question. I would need somebody who could walk into a room and sit down and get to know every single person in that room and understand something different about everyone and understand what all of those people need in order to feel safe. And I think if we can start with that and I can recognize that skill set in somebody, that would be a great person for the job. And how would someone, say a young person, build that skill? How would a young person build that skill? Yeah, that's a very uh, difficult thing, even for yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, so I think the, the number one thing is you have to take a look at yourself first, right? And so you've got to work on yourself and you've got to learn, you know, what are the things that make me frustrated or anxious or nervous or sad or happy? Like what leads, what does that to me in the world? Is it, is it people? Is it places? Is it things? Or is it all of those things together? And once we start to have a deeper understanding of that within ourselves, then we can look at others in a different way and respect that they may be going through their own challenge, but that they may be experiencing it differently and they may have different coping mechanisms than us. And so to understand that that's possible and that my experience is definitely not the only experience and it's definitely not the only way to learn these skills. And so there's all kinds of different ways to come to this place. But I do know that a lot of people that do work in the social services industry in the human services field um, have had an experience of trauma and, and they're, They've worked on that, and now they're here to give back because somebody helped them through that process. And I think that community is what helps all of us sort of move forward. Mm-hmm. It could be one person. It could be many people. But all of us have somebody in our life that helps us do that. Mm-hmm. And that's a big part of what CASA does is add a person to a child that may not have had that. And if they do have some of that, is to add an additional person to be a positive influence on them. For those who are just tuning in, you're listening to What To Be at KSQD 90.7 FM Santa Cruz. I'm Melina, and joined by other host, Emily. We're speaking with Jimmy Cook and learning about his career journey to becoming the program director for the Casa of Santa Cruz. And he's explaining that basically he was touching on the kind of qualities and skills that are good to have as a social worker and program director, which is basically being able to go into a room and talk to everyone and find something different about everyone. Yeah. And I think the other piece to the sort of understanding yourself and being aware about who you are and what you bring to the table, Mm -hmm. keeping that in check and respecting that everybody has a different experience is also that once you get to that level of of depth of self-knowledge is to maintain that and and have self-care and self-compassion. So you're aware that, you know, the job that we do every day can be difficult. And you're hearing lots of stories and you're seeing people go through very difficult things on a routine, regular basis. It's pretty much what we do every day. And so if I'm not doing a good job of taking care of myself during the day, taking my lunch break, taking a 15-minute walk if I need some fresh air, not just sitting behind a computer and staring at the screen and typing away or taking phone calls, but actually getting up, stretching, moving around. And then on the weekends, not going, you know, staying up late and 
you know, sleeping in all day and, you know, actually being active and getting outside and exposing yourself to the sunlight and other people and not just drowning yourself in all of the the challenges of the work week. And so that self-care piece is extremely important. It's something that I struggle with. It's something that I have to work on and I have to work on it all the time. It's like a major part of my career goal is to improve my self-care so that I can prolong the time that I can continue mm-hmm. to do this work. Mm-hmm. You can't help other people once you help yourself first. Yeah, it's kind of like the image in the in the airplane, right? When they say, you know, put on your mask first, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, so you want to make sure you do that. And what is a common misconception that people have about this field? Yeah, well, since I work very closely with the foster care system and foster families and foster youth, I think there's a couple things that come up. One is that when people think about a teenager in foster care, they think about somebody who's committing crimes. They think about somebody who's troubled. They think about somebody who we should put on the side and keep away from mainstream culture when that's actually far from the truth. All the youth we work with have some amazing talents, just like the youth they're sitting next to in class. And they need somebody to help them reveal that to themselves. And so adding a person to help them is is showing success. The other thing is that a lot of people have this assumption that foster parents come into this because they're trying to make money. And what I tell people is that there's a lot of jobs out there that pay a lot better. And taking care of a child who's experienced abuse and neglect is not an easy task. And it's not like taking care of your own child. They've had a lot of loss. When you take a child away from their birth family and you put them in a stranger's home, that's very, very difficult. And you can imagine just yourselves having to be put in that situation, how hard that would be. And you can list all of the things that would be new to you the minute you walk in that door. You'd have a different toothpaste. The smell of your laundry would be different. The food they serve would be different. Where you sleep would be different. Every single little thing would change overnight. And that would be very difficult for any of us. So if you're acting out or having challenges, that's kind of a normal and expected thing. And so for a parent to step in and say, well, I'm going to do this because I'm going to make money, doesn't make a lot of sense to me at all. It's a lot more difficult than people assume it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I actually, I say to foster parents quite a bit, and I know a lot of people who do really great work in the field of social work, but when I think about the most challenging job in, the, in this industry, it's to become a foster parent. So I actually think it's the opposite of what people think, that this is an easy way to make some money. I think this is a very, very difficult way. If you're into trying to make money, it's a very difficult way to do it. How would you say that this industry or your career has changed since you first started? Hmm. Well, I'd say that, you know, so 15 years ago, I formally started in the child welfare system and working as a social worker. And I'd say that, you know, there was lots of discussions about how to help parents be successful. And there was lots of talk about that. But what wasn't happening was there wasn't this universal understanding that meeting parents where they're at was the most important thing. Mm -hmm. And that building a team around each family to help a family make decisions was was something of value. And so that did happen from time to time. But now the state has actually mandated that all California child welfare counties do this. And so they've built into this, this philosophy that we're all going to team together and work together with the parents taking the lead and the children taking the lead to make decisions for their family. And so whether there's a therapist or a a school staff person or a CASA at the table, we're all there to support them Mm -hmm. making the best decisions. Of course, the team's going to help them understand that if they're making decisions that are unsafe or risky, they're going to point that out to Mm -hmm. them. But for the most part, it's up to them to make these decisions. Mm -hmm. And what we found is that actually leads to longevity of people doing really well over time. And when we obligate families to do things the way we want them to do it, that doesn't sustain itself for very long. Mm -hmm. And how do you handle situations that don't have your desired outcome? 
I'd say I do much better today than I did when I was younger. <laughs> I was the student in school that asked a lot of questions and challenged the teacher. I was the person who raised questions of concern regarding the way that things were being taught. And so I had definitely had a problem in the past with authority. I'll admit to that. And that probably comes from my own childhood, right? So that's, that's my story. So today it's more about trying to understand what's underneath the reasoning behind decisions that are being made or the way that somebody's behaving or the comments they're making and try to get underneath sort of the message on the outside usually projected. It's something that somebody's having an anxiety about or a fear mm-hmm. about, right? So we're usually concerned about things and that's why we raise our voice or we get excited about yeah. something or we're clapping or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So we're getting overstimulated by some, some external thing yeah. and it's happening on the inside of us. And so I think if we take our time with that, and we step back from the energy they're projecting onto us and not take it personally, mm-hmm. that we can do really good work with people. That's actually an opportunity to to affect change. Mm-hmm. And so now I've learned that it's not about me. That yeah. It shouldn't be about me ever. You know, this is a paid job for me. I'm coming into this willingly to do this. And the families we work with oftentimes are being mandated to participate mm-hmm. in this. And so we have to respect that part. Mm-hmm. Have you had to make any difficult career decisions? Yeah, there was two big ones that I can think of. And both were somewhat related to pay cuts. One was when I made the decision to move out of the field of being a sales representative for a national company that was actually trying to take me on to be this national rep. And they were going to promote me and move me across the country to do all these amazing things and offer me a bunch of money. I realized that that wasn't really for me. It was the education piece and the building relationship with the people that I was working with that I enjoyed. I didn't enjoy the sales part. And at that moment, I had to make a decision to take this big offer to move across the country and take a lot of money that I never, ever expected to make and take an $11 an hour job working in a group home with boys that had had committed a sex crime. Um, And so you could see at that moment, I was pretty struck by the challenge of that. I felt there was a calling there somewhere. And I took about a week vacation and just sort of brainstormed that for a while and realized that I needed to do what was going to make me feel like I was in the best place to help people. And so I took that $11 job. I did that once again when I moved to CASA. So when I was working for the county, I became a social work supervisor, paid pretty well, worked long hours, had opportunities to grow, probably could have become a manager at some day. And this job opportunity opened up at CASA with with a pay cut and Mm -hmm. i needed to think about is that going to be something i can handle and i got a lot of support from my wife she encouraged me to do what made the most sense for me in my career and so seven years ago i decided i needed to make this change because that was Mm -hmm. going to be best for me emotionally and i think it was going to be best for me in regards to my career because now i'm in a in a business that is all about advocating to make sure the children are getting what they need Mm -hmm. and that's the whole reason i came into social work Mm For those who are just tuning in, you're listening to What to Be at KSQD 90.7 FM Santa Cruz. I'm Elena, and I'm joined by other host, Emily. We're speaking with Jamie Cook, who is the program director for the Casa of Santa Cruz, and learning about his career journey. What would you say is the most stressful part of your job? Hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of stress (laughs) with the job. I, I think it's the number of people that have challenges. That could be stressful because there's so many things happening at a time. We work with 240 children a year, and each one of those you know, children has a family. 
and it's all the adults that are connected to these children that make things very complicated, mm-hmm. including myself. I'm part of the complication, <laughs> right? So I bring my own challenges into the mix. And you know, I appreciate that we're sitting at a round table today. So I feel like we're more connected in that regard. And I think I wish there was more round tables sort of in the physical sense and, and more of a concept that allowed us to all meet and sit and see each other eye to eye. But because of how many things are going on, that's not possible all the time. And so things are done emails and text and phone calls and in person and in court, out of court. And so there's just a lot of things, a lot of places. And I feel like that's a really hard thing to navigate. And for new social workers thinking about coming into this career, it's a very difficult thing to know that there's still needs out there. There's people that are really struggling and you know who they are and you know them intimately and you need to go home Mm -hmm. and you need to go eat dinner and Mm -hmm. you need to get a rest and you need to be with your family. You need to walk your dog. You need to get out of that and take a break. And it's hard to do that when you see all of this going on because you came into the field to help. Mm -hmm. And so it's a constant thing that keeps happening. So you have to figure out, that's why it goes back to that self-care piece. You have Mm -hmm. to figure out how to have triggers built into your day, whether it be on your phone or signs posted that tell you to take a break, take a breath, try to relax, talk to somebody about something other than your work, see a film that has nothing to do with work, watch something funny, spend time doing something that's not work-related because when you're working, there's a lot happening and it can be very stressful and overwhelming if you don't manage all of that. Going off of that, how did you learn how to maintain a good work-life balance? Hmm. That is going to be a lifelong challenge for me because of the very things I just stated. But I think I learned the hard way. Right. I didn't do a good job of that. And I felt it in my body physically. Mm -hmm. I felt it emotionally. I was in a position where I needed to like talk to people professionally about dealing with this work, Mm -hmm. which is something I encourage for anybody that's going into human services. There's a lot of therapists out there and counselors that can do some really good work. Um, to help sort of you understand why it is you're getting affected so deeply. Worst case scenario, it's not the right field, right? But I do think there's a lot of us that can do this if we figure out how to. And I think I mostly just didn't do a good job of it in the beginning. I also had some mentors along the way that talked a lot about self-care, that worked in the field of healing, and had dealt with a lot of people that had burned out, right? And so there were a lot of warnings for me to be careful of that because they recognized oh. that I would take that on and you take yeah. on so much that you end up getting, there's something called compassion fatigue and it's oh. like it's like burnout, right? And yeah. so you're so overly invested in supporting yeah. people that you start to drain yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's something to be really mindful of. There's actually assessment tools that you can use. You can mm-hmm. find them online that allow you to see if you're susceptible to something that's called compassion oh. fatigue. Oh. It's something anybody can do. You don't have to be a social worker. Yeah. You know, so all of us have the potential for that. If we just care so much about the yeah. outcomes of what we're doing, you know, that's important to, to mm-hmm. sort of reflect on that. That's another yeah. thing is if we have an overly strong attachment to the outcomes of what's going to happen to the families we work with, we're going to be let down from time yeah. to time. How are we going to manage that? And so we have to be aware that, you know, there's going to be some times when you're going to feel like, wow, I really wish something else had happened here. But you also have to recognize that if you put your best effort forward, that's all you can do. And the people you're working with have to make the decisions about themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you can only put in your 50. You have to kind of yeah. see how the rest of it turn out, right? Yeah. What is something that you've learned or came from this job? I've learned there's a lot more people out there that care about helping each other than people are aware. I think that as we learn, especially with the, with the technology and social media and like everybody's getting blasted with tons of information and If you pay attention to all the negative stuff, you're going to feel like everybody's just hateful towards each other. Mm -hmm. But if you actually look, there's a lot of really amazing things happening out there in the world. 
all over the place right around in our backyard, you know? And I think that's the trick is sort of, you know, I, I'm kind of a glasses half full type of person. And so I sort of look at what's working and try to expand on that. And if I learn, okay, there's a challenge here, we have to find there's some strengths in every person that sits at the table, they bring something positive. And we got to figure out what that is. So I like always like to sit with the people that I don't know very well or have conversations with people that I, I know or assume have a different political agenda than I do. And so that I can learn from them so I can understand where these decisions are coming from and where these where their reality is. And that can help me and teach me to be more effective in helping other people. And what would you say is the most rewarding part of your job? Well, because I work with kids and I get a chance to see them grow, it's just for me, it's incredible. Uh, we work with children that when we first meet them, they, they may not talk. Not because they can't, just because they've never been asked to and they've never had a space to and they never felt comfortable to do it. And so when we first meet them, they are shy as heck. They have no idea how to engage with other people. They just stand behind the closest adult they have and they're frightened. And we get to see them come out of their shell. We get to see them, their real personality appear and see that they can learn from the people around them to do some really amazing things that they didn't think they're capable of. And you go from a kid who's never smiled in front of you ever, just beaming with joy. And that's pretty fascinating to be able to see that. And you can see that in short periods of time with, with younger kids. It's, it's really amazing. With a little bit of love, a little bit of care, and a little bit of attention, that kids can really just blossom. And speaking of kids, what is a piece of advice that you'd give to a young person who's listening to this? Well, I guess I would say that if you don't have someone in your life today that's helping you get to the places in life that you want to be, that that person's out there and you can start looking for them now. They may be someone you already know. They may be one of your teachers. They may be somebody you know in your family. And I would suggest that you try your best to spend more time with that person because it's about you feeling comfortable with someone and feeling safe with them. And once you get to that place, you can really get to know what your strengths are and build upon those strengths. Do you have any interesting stories or facts related to your job? What I can just say is like we've had so many great stories of youth who haven't had an opportunity to do something and then they connect with a volunteer and then learn that they actually have this skill that they didn't even know. And there's just some, so many cool stories like that. Like, a, you know, there was a young, there was a teenage girl that had the ability to sing. Nobody knew this. Her brother was learning the ukulele with his casa. And so one day, the brother who was younger was just tinkering around on the ukulele with his casa and she started to sing. And the whole office was listening in awe because her voice was amazing. The next thing you knew, they talked about, oh, well, maybe we could do some piano lessons or something. And so she did that a little bit. It's like, I don't really like this, but I do like singing and had this story about having, you know, wanted to sing. And I think, you know, a very significant person in her life didn't show up. This is like in grade school. And so from that time forward, she didn't want to sing anymore. And so we got her singing lessons. And then she ended up singing at a talent show at school. And like, you know, standing ovation. So there's there's really cool stuff like that that happens all the time. And it's one of those things like you don't force it. You can't push it to happen. It just sort of happens in the relationship between the advocate and the youth. They start to develop some rapport. They start to expose them to different things in our community. And the next thing you know, they're interested in something really cool. For people who are interested in volunteering, where can they look to find more information on this? So we have a website. It's casaofsantacruz.org. And on there, there's all the information you need in order to learn what the next steps would be. There's also information about, you know, the population we work with, information on trauma, information on all kinds of different things about the work we do and the work the advocates do. 
and there's links to our annual reports so you can understand sort of where the finances come from and what the demographics are. That was a good question you asked earlier, what the demographics are of our volunteers, what the demographics are of the children we serve. So that's all available online. And our last question that we have for you is, is there anything else that you want to share or a piece of advice? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think I've said all what I could say at this point. We, we're an organization that works with volunteers, so we always need more volunteers. That's something that is important for us. And so we're always looking. We've met some fabulous people that are in our community that do some amazing things. I mean, our volunteers come from all different walks of life. And we, we work with 21-year-olds all the way up to 81-year-olds. And everything in between, doesn't matter what their, their primary language is or what their ethnic or racial background, doesn't matter where they're from. It matters that they care. And so we know that there's tons of people like that in this community and they show up to, to help out at CASA. And it's just been so awesome. That's a really cool part of my job also is to meet these people that are able to give back time. Some of them work full-time and they still do this. We have people who work part-time too. We have people that are UCSC, Cabrillo, UCSUMB students. You know, they're going to school full-time and fit this in. And it's just been really cool to watch them grow as well. You know, I'm watching children grow, but I'm also watching adults take a step into a place that isn't necessarily so comfortable for them. Because when you read a court report about the families that we work with, it's pretty tough. It, it's really difficult to sort of process, oh my goodness, this is a life. This is actually a real thing. This isn't TV, right? This isn't a story I'm reading about a fiction. This is real stuff. And so it's really amazing to, to know that we constantly have people who are interested in doing this and we continue to need more. Well, thank you for being our guest today, Jamie. Thank you for having me. And thank you to all of our KSQD listeners for tuning into today's career story with your hosts, Melina and Emily, on our show, What to Be, with today's guest, Jimmy Cook, who is the program director for CASA of Santa Cruz. If you have any questions or would like to share your career story with us, send us an email at whattobe at ksqd.org. If you enjoyed our show, please join us again at 90.7 FM, Case with Santa Cruz, at 7 p.m. on Sundays or stream online at ksqd.org. Thank you for listening.